Hey everyone, I'm back to introduce yet another one of those long and rambling OBS episodes. The video version of this episode was my second failed attempt at recording myself with a webcam. For some reason, I've been having a lot of trouble getting the audio and video to sync up. The resulting footage kind of looked like one of those old, poorly dubbed martial arts movies. If you do end up checking out the video version, it's a bit of a mess. Basically a mishmash of stills and some video that I managed to salvage. I wanted to try to bridge the two worlds, the show and habits, the realm of audio-only podcasting, and YouTube. By creating compelling videos where you can actually see me speak, that could then be converted into audio-only podcast episodes. But recording video of myself is turning out to be much tougher than I thought. I still have a lot to learn regarding things like lighting, overall video quality, and obviously syncing audio. So I'll probably go back to the usual format for a while after this, while I continue to try to educate myself behind the scenes. I also want to apologize ahead of time for the audio quality concerning the clips I play during the episode. OBS was capturing audio from my external mic instead of directly from the browser, so it might sound a bit tinny and distant at times. And also, you may hear an annoying bumping noise here and there. It might be my super sensitive uh, Blue Yeti mic picking up my movements with the mouse, kind of like that. Or it might be uh, when I'm gesticulating at times, kind of slapping my uh, computer desk or whatever. But without further ado, here we go. Hey everyone, so I've decided to experiment with OBS again. Uh, pouring a little 151 here, it's a Saturday night. And uh, don't worry, I plan on trying to keep this one on the short side. So hopefully nothing like uh, my recent response to Salon, which was over an hour and a half long. Famous last words, this episode also ends up being over an hour long. Also, apologies for all the pops and audio glitches in that one. I think that may have been the result of running the OBS file through iMovie. So I thought a fun idea for a relatively short video would be to take a tour of Morg Official's YouTube channel. I've mentioned Morg a couple of times on the show recently, but to give you a quick synopsis or recap, he's literally a sideshow performer. He does these kind of extreme human blockhead type stunts. I think his intro video, uh, let's see if I can find it actually before I continue. Yeah, it should show it here. My it name is, is Morg, yeah, okay. and my life is all about pushing the limits of the body and exploring the limitlessness of the mind. The videos... Yeah, so basically feeding a giant metal hook through his face. Um, but most of his YouTube videos actually feature him kind of waxing philosophical. Uh, as I described it before, some of his early content kind of comes across as standard atheist fare. Critiques of organized religions, specifically Christianity, etc. Not that I mind, I'm a non-believer and I actually found myself enjoying some of his earlier videos. In fairness, I don't know if he himself ever specifically self-identified as an atheist. Uh, let's see. And, and I should also add the disclaimer that I think the amazing atheist and Count Jacula, as I've said before, have already done a really good job of debunking some of Morg's claims. So for me, this is pretty much just about fun and, you know, helping me once again test drive OBS. So a little excuse to tour his channel once again. Okay. Now, once in a while, he'll actually do a video that I dig. Like, he just did one called What is Art? And I disagreed with some of what he had to say, but the basic sentiment about how we should be free to be ourselves, etc., I can really get behind that. So if I go way back into his library, let's see. Well, actually, in fairness to him, here's one that's about two years old where he says, why I reject mainstream religion and science. So it looks like uh, even a long time ago, he actually kind of had some kind of resentment towards science as mainstream science as well as religion. He did this one here. Mainstream religion is a big lie. If you tell a big enough lie and keep repeating it, the people will eventually come to believe it. Now, this is a quote by the propaganda minister 
appointed by Adolf Hitler. And it's so important to understand this because this is how conditioning works. A big lie will be told and then repeated again and again and again until it is so ingrained into the psyche that the mind accepts it as truth. And this is where we have found ourselves today because we have these evil, disgusting systems like mainstream religion, but it has been associated with positive words and positive oh. imagery and positive Rocky. symbols. And it has been done so again and again until the mind accepts yeah, it yeah, yeah. as true. Here's another one I actually listened to a long time ago and I liked. <clears throat> that music's kind of cool. This that might video be him. is going to be about the dangers of religion. Now, this is much different than why religion is wrong. We're not going to be talking about that. We're not going to be discussing why religion is wrong or it's incorrect. Because I'm assuming that the majority of my subscribers already realize that the view of reality that religion puts forth is false. Yep. We're not discussing why it's wrong. We're discussing why it is dangerous, why it is a bad thing. This needs to be brought up because I'm hearing a lot of comments saying things like, yeah, I don't believe in religion, but, but it's still a fine thing. You know, if someone wants to believe in religion, it can even be a good thing because it gives their life purpose or it makes them feel better. It gives them a set of rules to be a better person, etc., etc. It's fine if other people want to believe religion. It's just not for me. I'm talking about this because religion is dangerous. It's not an okay thing whatsoever. And it needs to be brought to the public's attention and awareness that religion is a very dangerous thing. And it's not okay. So we're going to be talking about uh, various reasons why religion is harmful. Now, my examples are going to be mostly relegated to Christianity. The general concepts that I'm speaking about are applicable to a wide range of religions. Why is religion dangerous? There's a few different reasons. Well, one, it promotes violence. It's very, very violent. It promotes intolerance. It promotes a master-slave mentality. It makes children feel bad about themselves and terrified of imaginary concepts like hell. Agree with that, 100%. to stop looking for answers. It makes people yeah. unable to think rationally and logically. Now, these are uh, just a few reasons. So, I actually, I find very, very little I can disagree with so far. I've watched this video before a couple of times and I actually really enjoyed it. At times he might be a little bit more militant than I am, a little less forgiving when it comes to religion. But at the end of the day, I basically agree with just about everything he says in this video. In fact, if you watch this video, um, no one could fault you for assuming that he was an atheist, but uh, he also has issues with mainstream science that go back at least like two years. So, yeah, and just because someone is strongly opposed to organized religion, that doesn't mean that they don't have any spirituality or that they don't have perhaps some kind of supernatural or fringe beliefs. But he sounds so logical here. It's hard for me to imagine that he would embrace some of the things he'd talk about in his later videos, which he doesn't seem to be able to provide any concrete evidence for. Um, and I want to say this isn't some kind of meant to be a hit piece on this guy. I actually think he's pretty cool in certain ways. If you tell a big enough lie. I already watched that. It's just there are some things I strongly disagree with him on. Let's take a look at this video list. Okay, so if we jump forward to some of his more recent videos. Okay, this is the video, Why Science is the New Irrational Religion, that really raised eyebrows. And the amazing atheist, TJ Kirk, who many of you are probably familiar with, uh, love him or hate him, I actually dig TJ, but I understand why his over-the-top kind of approach can um, 
be seen as uh, abrasive or caustic to some or off-putting. But I actually, maybe because I'm such a laid-back guy, I vicariously enjoy his over-the-top attitude. But TJ uh, did a great takedown of uh, Morg. And I wonder, um, let me see something. TJ Morg. Let's see. (laughs) Yeah, here it is. It's pretty funny. Before we start with today's video, I know some of you probably remember that a number of months back I promoted a uh, Bernie Sanders action figure. Well, that same company is oh, with the Elizabeth Stop Warren shilling me shit. <laughs> Just kidding, TJ. Or we all got to eat. for some reason you're Let's see. Okay, here we go. Hillary here Clinton, we go. I guess you could also do that one. There's another package. So without further ado, let's get started. People generally think that science is all about truth, but as we'll show in this video, it is nowhere near the truth, and its explanations about your existence and your purpose are just as absurd as mainstream religion. Oh, are, are we doing makeup? I didn't know we were doing makeup. No one told me about this. Sorry. I gotta, I gotta, I'll be right back. And few audio-only podcast listeners, Morg has kind of a gothic appearance, long, straight, blonde hair. Very pale skin, possibly wearing some kind of white makeup and uh, like black lipstick and and eye makeup. And so kind of mockingly, TJ runs off set and quickly comes back all decked out in kind of fancy goth attire, including a top hat and some kind of frilly shirt. (sighs) Okay. You were saying... Looking good, TJ. Every era thinks that they have it all figured out, and the ideas of the past were crazy. Those born in the early ages of humanity thought that their primitive stories about creation were true. That's Santa Claus. And those born in the Christian era thought that their religious ideas were true. And most born today think that scientific materialism is true. Well, actually, here in America, most people still think religion is true, despite the fact that science or uh, scientific materialism, as you call it, has done uh, far more to enrich their lives than religion ever did or could. 75.2% of Americans identify as Christians, and about 5.1% are non-Christian religions. 19.6% claim no religious affiliation whatsoever, but a good chunk of those people still hold on to irrational ideas about a higher power or an afterlife. Uh, so to say that we live in the age of scientific materialism is a false premise, at least here in the USA. In actuality, the people of the future will look back on scientific materialism as a primitive and childish view of reality. Oh my. So, are you claiming that you traveled to the future and you've seen this shit for yourself? Do you have a time machine? Do you? If so, I'm willing to bet it was created by science. Don't get trapped by the consciousness of the era that you were born into. In a hundred years, science will look nothing like it does today. Yeah, because science is in a constant state of adjustment as new empirical data is uncovered. So, if you are really looking for truth, then have an open mind and weigh everything we are about to say with logic and reason. Who the hell is we? You seem to be just one person to me. You see, people assume that scientific materialism is rational. However, that is blatantly incorrect. Really? Our system, Hyperionism, <laughs> is mathematical, rationalist, and de- now, for some reason, that strikes me like a late-night infomercial. You know someone's trying to bullshit you when they say, Our system. Ah, oh, okay. Active. While science is about sense data, empiricism, and induction, science is an empirical system, which is opposed to rationalism. This can't be stressed enough. Science is not about reason. Science is about empiricism. Empiricism and rationalism are not diametrical opposites, though they can come into conflict within the area of epistemology, which is the branch of philosophy devoted to studying the nature of knowledge itself. Empiricists believe that knowledge has to be grounded in observable reality, whereas rationalists believe that knowledge can be gained through sheer deductive reasoning as opposed to uh, the inductive reasoning of science. 
So let's explore the difference between deductive reasoning and inductive reasoning in the simplest way possible. Deductive reasoning starts with a theory and attempts to confirm that theory, whereas inductive reasoning starts with observation and then moves on through the stages of hypothesis to, to theory. So in other words, deductive and inductive reasoning are the inverse of one another. In deduction, you go from theory to hypothesis to observation to confirmation. In induction, you go from observation to pattern to hypothesis to theory. So they're sort of perfect mirror images of one another. And uh, which approach is better? Well, we'll get into that in a bit after John 5 uh, talks about whatever he's going to talk about next. The definition of empiricism is the doctrine that all knowledge is derived from sense experience, whereas rationalism is the doctrine that all knowledge is based on reason and not on religious faith or sense experience. These Let's see. So Count Jacula, who I kind of disagree with on some things by dig his horror reviews and things like that, he actually did a really good takedown of Morg too. And if you don't... Wow, he's done like three videos on him. So let's see. Oh, no, he hasn't. One of these is from a different YouTuber. So he, he critiqued the same video. Science is not... Is not the, now, this is his video. The New Irrational Religion. Greetings, fellow heathens. It is I, Count Jacula. Uh, so I wasn't planning on doing a video today, but someone sent me this video called Why Science is the New Irrational Religion. And I, oh, fuck. Uh, let's just go into this. People generally think that science is all about truth, but as we'll show in this video, it is nowhere near the truth, and its explanations about your existence and your purpose are just as absurd as mainstream religion. Dude. Look, I know you think we'd get along because, like, you're wearing makeup, you talk about, like, heavy metal satanic music and shit, <laughs> and, you know, on that level, you know, rock on. But I hate to break it to you. That's one thing I think uh, all of us have in common. TJ, me, Morg, and Count Jacula. Uh, we're all into kind of gothy things, and I think we all like uh, Marilyn Manson. Science doesn't say anything about your purpose like at all ever it doesn't concern itself with that ever hyperion is hang on kids i gotta go look this up all right oh shit urban dictionary i thought i was at least gonna get wikipedia god damn it the fucking only entry in here is this guy. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> Hyperionism, an individual form of the ancient religion of light, which is based off mathematics. Pythagoras. Yes, yeah, so Moore did invent Hyperionism, uh, his, his movement here. And uh, I just wanted to freeze that for a minute. An individual form of the ancient religion. An individual form. Of the ancient religion of light already what the which is based on mathematics pythagorean illuminism or scientific illuminism that says research in quotes who is mike hockney uh, i don't know what's happening here but in individual form of i don't even know what the ancient religion of light is uh, just off the top of my head here, as someone who's interested in ancient history, mythology, uh, the history of religion and stuff, and stuff, so eloquent. I know that, say, like, the sun, or solar worship, was central in many ancient cultures and religions, um, but I don't know of any broad ancient religion of light. Uh, I don't know. This It's bizarre. Anyway. Illuminism. Oh, okay. All right. So, Pythagorean Illuminism. All right. Let's look that up. I mean, I'm a little bit familiar with Pythagoreanism, but I, I don't know what the context is here. So, let's see. Gnostic Illuminism. Okay. Well, I know about that. You know, Gnostic Illuminism is all about the 
search for gnosis or or higher understanding of of spiritual matters essentially mm-hmm. okay all right all right I, I think i see where this guy's coming from i think calling it hyperionism is, is a little douche nozzly but you know, <laughs> all right let's give this guy a chance mm-hmm. every era thinks that they have it all figured out and the ideas of the past were crazy those born in the early ages of humanity thought that their primitive stories about creation were true. Santa Claus. And those good. born. And if you're wondering what those Santa Claus comments are all about, uh, just so you don't think I've finally lost what's left of my mind, uh, Morg keeps showing a picture of some kind of generic looking druid guy with a really bad long false beard inside a cave. Okay. In the Christian era, thought that their religious ideas were true. Mm-hmm. And most born today think that scientific materialism is true. So I'm sure Jackalow will have something to say there, but that's obviously a grotesque logical leap to go from man-made religions that are bogged down with superstition and mythology, etc., to science. I'm going to cut out a little bit here where I was rambling, but I was basically talking about the flawed comparison of trying to compare or equate modern science with ancient religion. And I think I continue talking about it here to say because people were factually incorrect with their... Will you shut up? Once again, don't question what's left of my sanity. I wasn't talking to myself. I was jokingly referring to someone laying on the horn outside my house. Okay. With their faith claim, with their ancient faith claims uh, that to us look like superstition and mythology, etc. Well, except for those still extant religions, the Abrahamic faiths, which many people still embrace, but I see as basically being living mythologies or whatever. Um, to, to go from that, to say, since people were wrong about that, since people once believed in these old gods and these old superstitions, that means that people's current belief in science is misplaced. When science, what the, who's going, who's, someone's really laying on the horn out there. I'm trying to record a video, douche nozzle. (laughs) Um, um. You know, science is based on observation, on peer review, on repeated testing of a hypothesis, etc. Uh, so um, much different than, you know, believing in spiritual entities or a sky god or whatever, or thinking, uh, you know, when you look at natural phenomena that the gods done did it. And science does kind of correct or revise itself over time, but there's still a lot of basic scientific principles or facts that we still utilize uh, that were around in ancient times, uh, mathematics and geometry, etc. So I think there's a world of difference between religion and empirical science. So he's going to argue that his system, Hyperionism, relies on this kind of airtight, super logical reasoning on uh, deductive reasoning as opposed to inductive reasoning and mathematics. But O'Ray, we can see he's making this gross logical leap, trying to draw a comparison between ancient religion and contemporary science. Have you looked around you? That's really fucking debatable. But in actuality, the people of the future will look back on scientific materialism as a primitive and childish view of reality. That is a gigantic assumption. Dude, I would never fucking make a claim that fucking presumptuous and redonkulous. Don't get trapped by the consciousness of the era that you were born into. All right. Well, you know, Jung would agree with him there, and uh, yeah, so do I. He's, he's got that one right. In a hundred years, science will look nothing like it does today. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, 
science used to basically be alchemy and we don't call it alchemy anymore it's uh now it's science physics and engineering so uh yeah so if you are really looking for truth then have an open mind and weigh everything we are about to say with logic and reason wait we're calling science a religion now he's calling for logic and reason oh oh strap in kids you see people assume that scientific materialism is rational however that is blatantly incorrect i don't think i'm strapped in hard enough our system hyperionism is mathematical rationalist and deductive all right i, I just want to let you know that this system of hyperionism is one he made up all right there, there's there's nobody else it's just him all right while science is about sense data empiricism and induction science is an empirical system which is opposed to rationalism what yeah oh my god okay oh jesus fucking christ all right so uh where to start okay first Let's define induction, and then we will break down all the ways this is wrong. All right, so inductive reasoning basically takes a premise, which you know to be true, and then tries to build an argument using it. For example, all biological life forms that we know of depend on water. Therefore, if we discover a new biological life form, it will probably also depend on water that that's an inductive conclusion it starts with what you know is true and comes up with a conclusion that is probably true as opposed to deductive which starts with a premise that could be false so that you figure out all the ways in which it might not be true so that by the end you have an idea of what is true that's the idea Science uses both deduction and induction, all right? You deduce what is true by eliminating everything that is false. And once you have enough of that, you can then try to apply it to things which are like what you have already been studying. For example, ice melts when you heat it. So you then take that observation and apply it to other materials. Does wood melt? No. Does metal melt? Yes. All right, so on some level, at least in this instance, metal and water have a similar property. And from that, we eventually came up with the concept of the melting point. And from that, we also figured out that the reason wood doesn't melt is that a material also has a thing called a kindling point. And if the kindling point is lower than the melting point, it will burn rather than melt. Coming up with that idea, which is a baseline of chemistry, took both deduction and induction. So he's wrong on this level. Science uses both deduction and induction. I'll say it again, both of them. But you want to know the other way in which he... Strange, I'm tempted to say intellectually dishonest thing that Morg does. Although, I mean, I don't know if it's intentional. This rigid dichotomy he sets up between inductive and deductive reasoning, when I think both are tools in the scientific toolbox, and they don't need to be pitted against one another. See, here's another one that kind of made my jaw drop. How we know the soul exists using mathematics. We're going to show you how it's possible for the soul to exist and without any appeal to faith or miracles, but by utilizing nothing but logic, reason, and mathematics. Hyperionism absolutely rejects faith miracles, and an external God. We are concerned with purely rational and mathematical truth. We don't pick and choose what we want to be true. We understand reality as it is in itself, objectively as it truly is. 
Remember to always keep an open mind and examine everything with reason, regardless of your personal beliefs, opinions, or biases. We will now show how the existence of the mind, the soul, is possible. An in-depth explanation would take an immense amount of time, and it would include philosophy and mathematics that is well beyond the average viewer. For this reason, keep in mind that what follows... Wait, wait, wait. So, you're going to claim you can prove something as big as the soul exists, um, but the explanation would take too long, or at least an in-depth explanation. So, just accept my... Uh, my vague synopsis here as evidence is an extremely shortened and simplified version of the explanation and is restricted to the two-dimensional plane. Its purpose is to give you an understanding of how it's possible for the soul to exist and why it necessarily exists in the specific way that it does. Remember that we use the word mind and soul interchangeably. They're the same concept. And as we've shown in other videos, the mind, the soul, is a completely mathematical entity defined by Euler's formula. Oh, look at that screenshot. Um, so in a way, I don't have any problem with using mind and soul interchangeably or uh, synonymously in a way. Even though uh, I'm an agnostic atheist, I lean towards the materialist scientific point of view uh, worldview. And uh, I also tend to believe that consciousness is most likely an emergent property of the brain, meaning when the brain dies, you know, it's lights out basically. Um, but I think poetically, you can refer to consciousness, to the psyche, to the mind as the quote unquote soul. The big question is, uh, not does the soul exist in that poetic sense it does exist we know we are self-aware beings we present we possess minds individual personalities thoughts and feelings but does that individual self survive death uh, i can't claim to know with 100 percent certainty but uh, sadly it's not something i want to believe is true but what we know about neuroscience uh, biology the lack of evidence for things like spirits and ghosts and afterlife, I tend to think that most likely consciousness is an emergent property of the brain and that when we die, there's a good chance, you know, show's over, folks. Uh, and so he's going to talk about something he calls Euler's formula. And according to Count Jacula, I don't know if he's correct or not, um, I think it's supposed to be pronounced Euler's formula, and um, I think Morg really uses it out of context or, you know, he invents his own context for the word. Let me do a search for it. Apple trying to sell me stuff. Why is my internet connection so slow? Okay, here we go. Euler's formula named after, or uh, that's, that's how Jacula said it. I don't know what the proper pronunciation is. Named after Leonard Euler. Euler. <laughs> Is, uh, is not the type of name you want to be trying to pronounce after drinking 151 for uh, the past half hour. Named after Leonard Euler is a mathematical formula in complex analysis that establishes the fundamental relationship between the trigon trigonometric trigonometric functions and the complex and the complex exponent. <clears throat> So uh, let me try that again. Euler's formula named after Leonard Euler. What the hell? So let me try that again. Euler's formula named after Leonard Euler. Let me try that again. Euler's formula named after Leonard Euler is a mathematical formula and complex analysis or analyses that establishes the fundamental relationship between the trigonometric functions and the complex exponential function. When Euler's formula evaluates to which is known as Euler's identity, I'm, that's completely over my head, but I, I notice it doesn't mention anything about the soul. Euler's formula is ubiquitous in mathematics, physics, and engineering. The physicist Richard Feynman called the equation, quote-unquote, our jewel, and also, in quotes, the most remarkable formula in mathematics. Let's see. Uh-huh. 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 
Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So scrolling through this whole article, and I don't notice anything about a mention of the soul. What if I type in Euler's formula soul? And once again, uh, Morgue pronounces it Euler's formula. Here's a live science uh, article. Euler's identity is an equality found in mathematics that has been compared to Shakespearean, a Shakespearean sonnet and described as the most beautiful equation. It is a special case of a foundational equation in complex arithmetic called Euler's formula, which the late great physicist Richard Feynman called, and once again, our jewel, not seeing anything about souls. I don't see anyone else other than Moore calling it the soul equation. Well, maybe I'll have to eat my words. Here's a... Uh... <laughs> I thought maybe it would be someone else. I saw Euler's formula referred to as the soul equation, and look who pops up, John 5. Uh, in case you don't know, in case you know I'm a Manson fan, John 5 was uh, Marilyn Manson's guitarist, and I think he plays with uh, Rob Zombie now. And so here's... Uh, it looks like a back and forth, maybe, between Morg, and I don't know who this other person is. Um... In your video, you state that everything is logic and mathematics. That does not jive. Speaking in terms of, is it Godel's? I don't know, incompleteness theorems, in particular, the fact that contradictions are inherent to all systems. By that very notion, it is impossible for everything to be logical. Moreover, you make a huge leap by trying to define something that has not ever been proved to exist in the first place. And I don't know if she's talking about the soul there or what. Um... Another thing, look at the meaning you ascribe to Euler's formula under the lens of, is it Tartsky's? Uh, a lot of these names are, you know, I'm drinking 151, people. <laughs> Un undefinability theorem. And then he replies, let us clear up some confusion. In Hyperionism, everything is mathematical. Mathematics is both ontological. And, well, I understand that word, ontology. Uh, I think ontology has to do with uh, the nature of being or existence. Well, and I look it up just to be safe. Ontology, the branch of metaphysics dealing with the nature of being. Ontology is the philosophical study of the nature of being, becoming, existence, and or reality. So, okay, I'll give myself a gold star there. Let's see. Mathematics is both ontological, it is proposed by the philosopher Wittgenstein, or is it Wittgenstein, tautological. To talk about logic and reason is to refer to the consequence of living mathematics. And I think a tautology is a kind of circular claim in a way. Um, let me look that up too. Tautology. The saying of the same thing twice in different words, generally considered to be a fault of style. They arrived one after the other in succession. Okay, so I guess I was basically right. To talk about logic and reason is to refer to the consequences of living mathematics. By Goodell, I don't know if it's Goodell or what, uh, in completeness theorems, mathematics cannot be based on an axiomatic system as it results in incompleteness or inconsistency. This shows that mathematics is not based on what humans have defined as abstract axiomatic logic, but instead is ontologically real, flowing from the soul equation, Euler's formula, or Euler's formula, according to him. Since it is a non-axiomatic ontological tautology, it is necessarily 100% consistent and complete. Mathematics is not some unreal symbolic manipulation game that humans came up with, but instead is a living, ontologically real feature of our world and all possible worlds so in a way that seems like kind of a tautology to me um it's kind of like saying the soul equation which, which he uh, equates with euler's formula is real uh because it's it ontologically flows from the soul equation and he still hasn't I mean, he seems to be the only one referring to Euler's formula as the soul equation. And he does this kind of call to authority uh, where, you know, he says, in Hyperionism, everything is mathematical. Well, he invented Hyperionism. <sighs> and then um, my understanding is that Euler's formula is an axiom. 
That is incorrect. It is the mathematical expression of the Leib of Leibniz's PSR, which is ontological and tautological because its negation is self-refuting. Euler's formula is a tautology and hence always true. It's always true because it's a tautology. It is not an axiom. I still don't understand this part. <laughs> and if the way I was reading that last part was a little confusing, it's probably because I was reading an exchange, uh, once again, to remind you, between Morg and this other person who seemed uh, understandably skeptical of his claims. So he's definitely not a dumb guy. He seems fairly intelligent, and he seems to have a decent understanding of these terms he's throwing around, uh, these philosophical and mathematical terms. But he seems to be kind of trying to manipulate or shoehorn or change the definition of these things to fit his personal agenda regarding this philosophy he invented. We will now show why this is true. We first begin with the principle of sufficient reason, which states, for everything that exists, there exists a sufficient reason why it is thus and not otherwise. In other words, for everything that exists, there's a reason why it exists that way. You can't have anything that happens for no reason at all. Ultimately, everything must have a reason, even if that reason is immensely complicated. For example, if you found a ball on the floor, there exists a reason why there is a ball in that particular place. Maybe a kid put it there, or a dog dropped it, Whatever the case may be, there's some reason why it's there and not somewhere else. It didn't just miraculously appear there without any reason at all. Everything in reality has a reason for why it is the way it is. We're going to refer to the principle of sufficient reason as the PSR for short. Now you use the PSR constantly without realizing it. Anytime you try to think of a reason for something, you're using the PSR which states that everything has a reason. If you try to think of a reason that the PSR is wrong, you're trying to find a reason why the PSR is wrong, which is to use the PSR, which states that everything has a reason. So you can't try to think of a reason why the PSR is wrong without using the PSR in the process and thereby affirming its validity. Anyone who tries to give reasons why the PSR is wrong is absurd, as this is a self-defeating act. This shows that they have absolutely no understanding of what the PSR is, because as soon as someone tries to give a reason that it's wrong, they're actually using it. Furthermore, if the PSR were false, any reasons used to show that it was false would automatically be false themselves since their coherency and their truth value depends on the PSR being true. And if you simply state that the PSR is wrong, you're saying that things can have no reason whatsoever. And if that's your position, you're literally insane and there's no point in having a conversation with you because you've literally rejected reason. We all have to agree that things have a reason for their existence in order to be able to have a rational discussion. If we don't start there, it's no longer a rational discussion and it's just insane nonsense. We begin with the principle of sufficient reason. It's really simple, it's reason itself. Everything that exists must have a reason why it is the way it is instead of it being a different way. Now keep this in mind, as we'll show that the soul exists necessarily by the PSR. Euler's formula is the governing equation for the soul. Now take a look at its graph. So I'm going to read uh, some tweets. Ooh. I don't know if you can see that. That I received from the Justicar. And I actually love the Justicar. Uh, he's a YouTuber. Uh, I think he's an ex-cop, ex-military um, a, a kind of a, a logician, uh, actually teaches mathematics, and he does excellent logical breakdowns on his YouTube channel. And here's what I asked him to take a look at this, and 
Here's one tweet. I couldn't get past the patently illogical logical introduction. Children should be required to take an introductory class in logic. But he apparently did keep uh, watching. See, the entire argument begs the question. The PSR, principle of sufficient reason, is used to explain why some extant thing exists as it does. The very question at issue. Okay, then he continues, the question at issue is whether or not the thing under consideration exists at all. The existence of the thing in question must be shown otherwise. So it seems like he likes to kind of latch on to these buzzwords or catchphrases and tries to repeatedly use those to shore up his arguments. Uh, but if you look beyond them, uh, I mean, there isn't much there. So uh, Euler's formula, this mathematical equation which he seems to hijack for his own purposes and rebrands the soul formula soul equation my bad slip of the tongue uses that again and again like some kind of appeal to authority and then he now he's repeating the psr the principle of sufficient reason and peppering that throughout his speech okay so i think i'll take a look at one last one um a video called and I feel like to some degree, this kind of falls in my wheelhouse. I'm a little, you know, out of my element when it comes to advanced mathematics, etc., to say the least. But I do know something I like to think. Uh, at least I have a layman's knowledge regarding things like ancient history, religion, spirituality, etc. And he has a video that caught my attention called What Are Higher Entities? What's up, guys? I'm Carly Cox. What's up? And today, I'm going to show you how you can build your very own website. Later, with... Carly. Do higher entities exist? Do they have an interest in you, in humanity, and the future of the planet? Are they angels? Are they demons? Are they extraterrestrials? Or are they something else entirely? This is a topic that we are intimately familiar with, and a deep secret that has been hidden from this world. Ancient holy texts are filled with stories about angels and demons and creatures that fell from heaven to earth. The Book of Enoch describes beings that are called the Watchers, those that would watch over humanity. These fallen angels taught the people of this world technology, the movements of the moon, science, and even art, makeup, and writing. Make they embraced sexuality, love, and lust. In almost every ancient culture, there are stories of visitors from the sky or from heaven. And today, your people discuss aliens and visitors from another Your planet. people. Of course, you can't trust ancient texts and the babblings of insane conspiracy theorists. Mm -hmm. They have all gotten the details quite wrong. Let us illuminate the subject. Now, this isn't to say that there isn't life on other planets. Of course there are, but Most we are likely, speaking of something yeah. much different. How in much every of it is... age, the people of the... I, was gonna ask, I actually, I think mo that's kind of the scientific consensus now that most likely, that, I mean, chances are there's life elsewhere in the universe. The universe is so vast and the basic ingredients for life or the uh, necessary circumstances, I mean... Most likely, there's, there's life elsewhere. How much of it is primitive or rudimentary, say bacteria, um, single-celled organisms, that type of thing, and how much is advanced, self-aware life with uh, established civilizations and technology? I don't know. I think, was it, there was some, I think it's, uh, was it the Drake equation that tries to suss that out? how much um, advanced life is probably out there in the universe. I don't know how accurate uh, the Drake equation is, but I, I'll actually agree. You know, it's funny because he says so much far out stuff. Then he starts talking about little green men or life in outer space. And the first impulse might be the kind of roll your eyes at that too. But I kind of agree with him when it comes to the uh, possibility of life elsewhere in the universe. Um, let's go on world try to describe these higher entities in the context of the time that they exist in. In ancient times, when consciousness was young and the world was ruled by religious fanatics and holy men, 
people imagine these beings to be extremely spiritually advanced. Angels, demons, visitors from heaven. That hideous gasping noise was me drinking 151 straight from the bottle. They had no understanding of science and technology. They could only describe these entities through the lens of their primitive consciousness and limited understanding. So they did so in terms of visitors from heaven. Today, in the scientific age, in the era of technology, people no longer imagine them as angels and demons. Instead, they imagine them through the lens of the consciousness of today, and they imagine them as little green men in flying saucers. When the world was ruled by prophets, they imagined... He's not the first one to say that. Uh, other people have posited or theorized that uh, as we become more technologically advanced and as um, people's literal belief in religion has kind of slipped away, that stories of alien visitations, beliefs in UFOs or whatever have kind of taken the place of uh, stories about fairy folk or angels, etc., etc. Angels. Today, while the world is ruled by technology, they imagine aliens. You see, human beings always imagine higher entities as being advanced versions of the current time they live in. In a very spiritual age, they imagined highly spiritual beings. Now, in a very technological age, they imagine them as highly technologically advanced beings. The truth is that both of these conceptions of higher entities are incorrect. These entities are timeless, and they exist as they do, regardless of how they are understood. Okay, so he's making a couple of flawed assumptions here. First, at the very beginning, he's claiming that these entities, which he believes exist, and, and that's a flawed assumption right there. How does he know these spiritual or you know metaphysical beings exist in the first place is you gonna say euler's formula or uh mathematics proves their existence probably um how does he know these beings exist in the first place and then i mean for someone who you know we watched one of his earlier videos and even says in his later ones that you shouldn't trust ancient man-made religious texts and you know whatnot um yet he's willing to say that these entities which he believes exist are the same as certain entities referred to in certain ancient texts, such as the so-called Watchers in uh, the Apocryphal Book of Enoch. How the hell does he know that? Through the lens of a primitive human consciousness. The definition of angel, demon, and alien is laughable when applied to these ha, entities. Ha, ha. But indeed, higher entities do exist. It is absurd to think that a human is the current peak of evolution. And there are, of course, more highly evolved beings. Reality is mathematical. And oh, here we go. So he's not necessarily saying they're spiritual beings in, in the conventional sense. He's saying they're highly evolved, evolved, yeah, evolved beings that are apparently so evolved, perhaps they no longer need corporeal bodies or whatever, and now he's going to try to explain their existence using uh, mathematics, but he probably won't give us the specific math and, and show exactly how it proves these beings' existence, but he's just going to tell you that, or tell us that uh, they exist because math. Higher entities are mathematical beings they exist outside of space-time, within the frequency singularity. That is, in the domain of pure mind. Those that pure have indulged mind. in the psychedelic experience will I have, have seen hints of what we are talking about. No. They exist in the world of thought, shaping intricate patterns within the collective consciousness. Uh, hopefully none of my uh, family watched this, but I've done uh, mushrooms, LSD. What else? Uh distilled morning glory seed juice um other hallucinogens and uh i've seen you know like the trails and uh i've seen things kind of double i've had the you know as a kind of artistic person i've always been pretty good at seeing faces and wood grain and things like that i noticed that type of thing seems to be heightened in me 
under the influence of certain hallucinogenics or hallucinogens. Um, but I've never really seen like interdimensional beings or anything like that. I hear the closest you can probably get to that is through DMT visions. I've never tried DMT. It, it's on my bucket list. Um, as someone with a history of wrestling with things like depression and anxiety, I don't know how smart it would be to get on board the hallucinogen train again, especially something as potent as DMT. But supposedly it only lasts for like 10 or 15 minutes. So uh, maybe someday. Is that too much information? So the universe... Pay close attention to what we are saying as we are pushing past the limits of the ordinary human's capacity to understand. You are not a body. You are a mind, a construct of infinite mathematical energy. These higher entities are the same as you. They are also minds, just at an extremely high level of evolution. Okay, so philosophically, that's interesting. He says, we're not bodies where minds and in some philosophical sense that's kind of true because all of reality gets filtered through our our senses and our brains um you know we feel so steeped in the real world that seems like we're just experiencing it and it's easy to forget that everything we perceive and experience is filtered through our senses. In that sense, we're kind of experiencing it secondhand. But we need our bodies in order to filter that information, that sense, that sense data, that sensory data. Uh, so it, it's kind of fun and romantic to say that we're just minds. And, and, and once again, in a sense, kind of we are, you know, all we really have. Um, each one of us is kind of like an island universe, in my opinion. Um, we all experience our individual consciousness. Everything we experience is filtered through the senses um, and our brains. Uh, but, you know, if you were to jump off a building right now and your body went splat and you uh, attained brain death, I, I don't think, you know, that individual self would go floating off the top of your body and, you know, up into another reality or something. I think it would be pretty much lights out. That would be the end of the soft machine that is your brain. Um, so I think we're both minds and bodies. We're bodies that experience consciousness and who experience reality via the senses in our brains. Um but once again, like I said earlier, I tend to believe in consciousness as an emergent property of the brain. And uh, now, why do I think that? And, and that's just kind of a fancy way of saying that I think consciousness is the product of the meat brain. And I think as the nervous system became more and more complex throughout evolution, and eventually, you know, we came to the mammalian brain and that became more and more complex to the point where eventually you had human beings and maybe a couple of other species who are self, you know, really highly sentient and self-aware. So, I mean, you start out with really rudimentary life, well, even before flatworms and things like that, but eventually you get really rudimentary life that maybe has like eye spots and a very, very basic nervous system. Eventually, you have reptiles and amphibians that have little more than what would be the equivalent of our brainstem, probably aren't terribly that self-aware. Then eventually, you have mammals, primates, uh, you know, hominids, and, and you have us who are capable of deep self-reflection and awareness. Um, and I think there is undeniably a link between chemical brain states and consciousness or between brain health and consciousness. So let's say someone wants to escape their troubles or it's the weekend and they want to let loose a little, relax. Maybe they have uh, some of this. Or if they're smart, something uh, not quite as potent, 151. You know, and... Um, we know everything from caffeine to chocolate to alcohol can 
vastly alter, well, not vastly in the case of things like caffeine and chocolate, but even mild things like that, which you technically could consider drugs, can alter consciousness and perception. Uh, then things like alcohol and stimul, uh, you know, heavy stimulants, and then uh, hallucinogens. And we know how vastly hallucinogens can alter perception. Um, and then uh, say say something like antidepressants. Like I've talked about before, I take fluoxetine, which is basically generic Prozac. And different antidepressants work in different ways, but it's thought that um, many of them work on the neurotransmitter, the brain chemical known as serotonin, kind of the happy molecule. And uh, the more, more serotonin, the higher levels of serotonin in the brain or the more serotonin is potentiated, pretty much the happier you feel and the greater sense of well-being you feel. And serotonin is the same drug that's uh, potentiated by MDMA or Molly. Not sure why I referred to serotonin as a drug there rather than a neurotransmitter, a Freudian slip perhaps. So in a way, an, an antidepressant that works on serotonin is kind of like a milder version of MDMA, much milder. Um, it's thought that MDMA is so potent that it can actually cause a serious depletion of serotonin. Um, I also neglected to mention there, and I think I discussed this on the show before, that although MDMA and certain antidepressants both potentiate uh, serotonin, uh, the mechanisms are different, which is why in some cases antidepressants can actually interfere with the efficacy of MDMA. So we know that certain chemicals can directly affect consciousness and perception. And we know that, say, certain degenerative brain illnesses like Alzheimer's, uh, you know, dementia, etc., that these illnesses that affect the integrity of the meat brain have a direct result on the sense of self, on um, impulse control, behavior. And I probably should have mentioned memory, of course, and uh, things like uh, the ability to recognize loved ones, etc. Uh, and impulse control behavior, that can go to like frontal lobe uh, damage, etc. There's the famous case of uh, Phineas Gage, I think it is. Was he some kind of railroad worker or something who got like a pipe through his head and supposedly his uh, personality vastly changed in the, in the wake of that accident? Some of that story might be uh, exaggerated, I think, I read. But... Um, yeah, we know they used to give people lobotomies, uh, which could essentially zombify, you know, take a, a, a vibrant, fully aware person and, and basically turn them into a walking zombie, depending on what type and how extensive the lobotomy was. Um, so it seems that there's a direct correlation between brain chemistry, structural integrity of the brain and consciousness and the self. And given the lack of evidence for things like spirits and immortal soul and afterlife, it seems logical to conclude to me that when the brain goes, we probably go. The only workaround I can think of, and I'm a big fan of Aldous Huxley, his book, The Doors of Perception, which I probably have around somewhere, but I'm not going to get up to get it right now, had a huge impact on me. And he talks about some kind of consciousness reducer vow where, and I'm not saying I believe this, but it's a fascinating idea, where in order to keep us functional in a practical utilitarian sense, we can't walk around mind blown like someone on hallucinogens all the time. We need to be able to focus on mundane tasks and be able to get things done and be able to do what we have to do to survive. But he posited or theorized that hallucinogens kind of cranked open that valve and let outside consciousness in. And, and uh, you know, we, we, you'd enter that kind of mind-blown state where you became one with what he would call the mind at large or, you know, the kind of universal mind or something like that. Um, fascinating stuff. And I used to kind of buy into stuff like that. I used to be heavily into Eastern religion and spirituality when I first closed the door on literal belief in uh, Christianity. Um 
but uh, you know, I'm even skeptical about all that now. I don't think there's really any solid proof for um, a, a collective. Well, you could have like a collective consciousness speaking kind of sociologically or, or something like that, but a literal kind of collective unconscious or, or collective universal mind. And I'm kind of jumbling up my terms there. The collective consciousness or a collective consciousness could kind of be like the zeitgeist of the times or something like that. The collective unconscious, uh, at least in Jungian terms, is a kind of repository where the archetypes or certain touchstone symbols dwell or whatever. How literal that's meant to be taken, I don't know. Did Jung actually believe that there was a metaphysical collective unconscious um, that extended beyond the limits of, you know, one human brain? Or was he just saying that there's this kind of collection of symbols and uh, archetypes that we respond to and that we're wired to respond to in a sense? I don't know. I think I may have covered that on the show before. Um, some kind of vast ocean of consciousness that permeates everything. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't see any strong evidence for something like that. It does seem to me that um, consciousness is an uh, emergent property. Could it? So the only workaround to me is the possibility that the brain is a receiver rather than a generator of consciousness, you know, which is what some types out there actually propose. Uh, I can't claim to know that that's not the case with 100% certainty, but given what we know about neurology, biology, science, the lack of evidence for the existence of, like I said, spirits or the lack of evidence for psychic phenomena or the ability of consciousness to exist outside the brain, I'd say most likely, you know, it seems like... Consciousness as an emergent property is kind of the model to go with at this point. I'd be very happy to be proven wrong. But holy crap, I said this was supposed to be a short video, and it's already been well over an hour. So I'm going to call it quits, and I'll probably try to edit this down to a manageable size. So all right, thanks everyone. You guys know the drill, Facebook, Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher. If you want to help the show out monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash the weekend out and support what I do here for as little as 99 cents a month. All right, later.